So, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the truth of that. We will have no less days to sing your praise. But that is for those of us that call you Father and those of us that are your children. So, Lord, I pray for this morning. I pray that you would empty me of myself, Lord, that you would speak powerfully through me with the words that you have for these people, Lord. Be people, if there's someone that doesn't know you, Lord, may they hear you, your voice today. If there's someone that's struggling with something, Lord, may they hear your voice today. May this time be used to exalt you, to lift you on high, to bring you the glory that is due you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning. It is the fifth week of our series, Keys to Life, a study in Philippians. And Dan got us started four weeks ago with a look at <coughs> Key to Purpose. Then Brian Tootin led us through a time, the Keys to Living Life. A couple weeks ago, we got to hear from Dan, Don Vandergeesen as he taught us Humility, the keys to humility. And last week, Chad brought us a message on keys to service. So this week, keys to joy, the key to joy. So if you will, open your Bibles to Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and, the glory, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that comes from the law, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
Let's pray before we dig in. Heavenly Father, Lord, this passage you're going to use to help us understand the key to joy and the key to joy in finding you. And Lord, so I pray right now that you would take away all the distractions in this room, take away all the distractions in our hearts and our minds, that we may fully tune our ears and our heart to you and the word that you have individually for each one of us sitting here today listening. Lord, may we have, hear that message that you have specifically for us. And may we respond to it and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So right off in this chapter, Paul's giving us an imperative command. Rejoice in the Lord. And in fact, in chapter 4, he's going to go on to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And in 1 Thessalonians first, chapter 5, he says rejoice always. So there's something to this rejoicing we're supposed to be doing. And the root word for rejoice here is Cairo. It can also be interpreted to mean joy. We should have joy in the Lord. But what are we talking about when we say joy in the Lord? What's the definition of joy as Paul is talking about joy? Here's how Piper defines it. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Now, just for comparison's sake, I went to dictionary.com and got their definition of joy. <laughs> the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Keen pleasure, elation. Uh, well, they got it partly correct. They did say it's caused by something exceptionally good, the Holy Spirit, but I don't think that's exactly what they had in mind in their definition. So, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit joy, joy in our soul. And we remember we said joy, soul, joy in our soul is produced by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So it becomes pretty clear that we can't have Christian joy unless we know the Lord. And that leads me to my question of the day. What is keeping you from having joy in the Lord? And the answer to that question is different for each one of us. So we'll keep looking at the text and see what we can learn from Paul about this joy. He tells them that for him to write the same things, he's repeating, 
to them again is no trouble for him and is for their protection. There is value in being reminded of the truths of Scripture as well as the warnings of things to watch out for. And he gives them a couple of things to watch out for. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, the people that he was speaking to would have understand that these were Judaizers. They're Christians that would insist new converts follow Jewish customs and practices, such as the laws of Moses and such as physical circumcision. But the true believer has a true circumcision of the heart. For Romans chapter 2 tells us, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And if you will, you're there in Philippians, if you'll turn just a couple of pages to the right to Colossians 2. We'll start in verse 9. It says, For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So as believers, we have been circumcised the heart by the Spirit. And since we have, we live under the grace of Jesus and not the law. Paul describes a true believer as one who worships by the Spirit of God. So we're not using some human traditions or external rites. We glory in Christ Jesus, and we do so because he alone is our hope. He alone is our salvation. And we put no confidence in the flesh, because sinful man that we all are before Christ has no grounds for confidence before God. Paul tells us anybody has reason for confidence in the flesh, though. It's him. Let me read again his list of his qualifications for the confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, according to the Jewish law. He's of the people of Israel. In fact, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. So he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, he's a Pharisee. 
rising Pharisee he was among his peers. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. Now Paul here has just given us the start of what we would call his testimony or his God story by telling us who he was before Christ, before that meeting with Christ on the road to Damascus. And when we give our testimony, our God story, when we share that with someone, there should be three parts to it. We should share who we were before Christ. We should share what Christ has done in our life to bring us to him. And then, most importantly, we should share what Christ is doing in our life today. Now, I don't get the rest of the chapters that are going to talk about his life afterwards, but you're going to hear about him in the coming weeks. But right now, I'd like to invite my wife, Tina, up to share her God story, and we'll go from there. Good morning. Psalm 63, 1 and 2 says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly seek for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. My story begins with a God-shaped hole. When I realized as a teenager I had something missing, I began searching. I knew of God and feared him. But that was the extent of it. School and making friends was easy for me, but not enough. I just had to find the right remedy. A boyfriend didn't provide the solution, so being married must be the answer. This guy said he loved me, and he told me he was a Christian. I believed I was, too, and knew I should marry a Christian man, so surely this is what I was searching for. A husband didn't correct the problem. Surely a child would bring happiness to our lives. Our wonderful son was born 14 months after we got married. And sadly, he was not the answer either. My life was as empty as ever. My marriage was a constant struggle. And now, I had someone who depended on me for everything. And I struggled to find joy around me. Have you been there? Are you there now? It's a strange feeling to be surrounded by family and friends and still have that hole, that ache that leaves you wanting something. But God, in his mercy and his perfect time, called me to himself. I asked my mom if she wanted to go to church with me, and she agreed. So that Sunday, we headed off to a large church here in Phoenix. And for the next six weeks, the pastor spoke directly to me and my issues and struggles. In April of 1980, my eternity was forever changed when God called me to himself. That hole was filled. Something that I had strived for for so long was settled in a moment. My God-shaped hole was satisfied. My life didn't become a fairy tale story with a happy ending right away. I was married to a man who believed he was a Christian. 
So God brought a precious saint into my life who showed me that my walk was so much more important than all my talk. I learned to stop badgering Jeff about church and started praying for him. He had no issue with me going to church, although he wasn't interested in attending regularly. I didn't know it, but God was working on Jeff through a co-worker that he had. Five years after God called me to himself, he gave Jeff a new heart. We began attending church at a large church here in town, and we were there for seven years before God moved us. Our search took us to a church where a pastor taught verse by verse from the Bible. We were both stirred in a way because we'd never experienced that before. We moved our family to Northwest Community Christian Church and learned under Jay Letty. What an eye-opening experience to listen and learn how the Bible is applicable, every part of the Bible, to my life. Although already Christians, before that we'd grown little. So this new experience overwhelmed both of us, and we, as isn't surprising for those of you who know us, handled it differently. I chose to dig in and serve and serve and serve. I um, taught Sunday school. I served as choreographer for children's choir and then stepped into the choir position when it director position when it became available. I was on the missions committee. I was part of the creative arts team, did short-term missions, served Sunday morning and evening on the AV team, and we were leaders in our Sunday school class. Yeah, I served just about everywhere. I worked full-time in the corporate world at the same time, and we purchased a home with an acre of sh- that had sheep, rabbits, chickens, and a dog. We went from strangers to farm life to having our very own McAbney's farm. I was over the top, overcommitted, and joy was missing. And as a side note, when every moment is busy in your life, spending time in God's word is non-existent. Jeff, on the other hand, was slow, cautious, and deliberate in committing to serve. It puzzled me because I was just not that way. But as our church friendships developed, one of the things I found was when we shared our lives with other Christian families, we are more alike than not alike. Ecclesiastes 1.9 reminds me, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. I didn't have to be ashamed of my past my mistakes, and my current failures. I found joy and contentment in accepting my circumstances. Messed up family, kids that didn't quite do what we wanted them to. I was just a Christian with issues. There's a comfort that comes when you find that there are others who are out there who've been where you've been, who offer encouragement and pray for you share their wisdom. I reevaluated my commitments at strong encouragement from others. I reduced my participation, and Jeff continued to serve well in the areas he was called. God wanted our obedience, and he was going to test my joy once again. Our church announced that West Valley Bible Church was planning a church. 
it would be meeting less than a mile from our home. We weren't looking for a church when God turned us to Cornerstone, but we both felt God stirring our hearts and minds. Cornerstone was meeting on Saturday evenings, and our church commitments at Northwest were on Sunday mornings. So perfect, perfect plan. I just knew it was. So we served. We went to church on Saturday nights. We served on Sundays, and everything was great for six months. That probably wasn't God's plan for us to be bouncing back and forth. So he, it's hard for me to get his ideas, but Cornerstone had the opportunity to move and start worshiping on Sunday mornings. So we came to a crossroads. What do we do? Our family, our investment, our time of 19 years at NCC, or a little church that we'd been out for about six months. God made that very clear to us when he took us to our very first church retreat. He opened our eyes. The love of the small group there made it abundantly clear we were to say goodbye to our friends at Northwest and step into life full-time at Cornerstone. I used to tease when we moved to Cornerstone, it was much smaller than it is now, that Jeff and I raised the median age by a good 10 years. Uh, so life there was a little bit different. Through my eyes, I couldn't see how God could replace the friends who loved me so well at, at Northwest, who knew me, who struggled like I did, you know, had kids my age. Cornerstone families had much younger kids or no kids at all. Yet God took my husband and in less than two years grew him exponentially through the men's leadership development classes here. It was worth the struggle. It was worth the loss. It was worth everything to see that happen. And he reminded me that joy is not the same as happiness. And I can have joy in all circumstances. And as our friends in Grenada say, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Well, thank you, Tina. And thank you, God, for that God story. Um, it has been a great ride. It has been, there is, uh, Cornerstone has been such a blessing for both of us, and God is moving and using us in so many new and different ways that I never thought possible that, since we've been here. And we have joy. Um, if you would um, turn over your uh, connecting point to the backside, uh, the engaging in the call, so it's the second one down, we just want to draw your attention to there, and, and I want to challenge you. What is your story? How has God, God showed up, did <coughs> you, how has God shown you that because of, or despite your circumstances, joy is available to you? Encourage another believer or an unbeliever with your God story this week. And I wrote that yesterday sometime and totally suffered in our time of corporate prayer this morning at 8.30 here. That's what was prayed over and over. 
that we would share our God stories with those around us. So, back to the text. What is it that Tina discovered that Paul knew about how to have joy? So, let's look at the rest of the text. Paul, as you remember, was Saul until the road to Damascus experience. But as Saul, he counted reasons for confidence as accomplishments. That whole list I read earlier, Saul at the time, Paul, saw that as his accomplishments. He'd accomplished great things for the, for the Lord even. He was persecuting the church for the Lord. He thought he was on fire for God. Paul now sees all those things as a loss, as a hindrance to knowing Christ Jesus. In fact, he takes it up a notch. Not only are all those things a loss, he says all things are a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So then, if those things are all loss, what is it that gives Paul confidence? What is it that gave Tina confidence that she's righteous before God? What makes me confident that I'm righteous before God? What can make you righteous before God? Confidence in that. Paul gives us the answer. May I be found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now you may remember we just got done with 28 weeks of Gospel of John, and about 90 plus times John told us faith alone saves. Paul knew that his righteousness could not come from the law, all those things he had accomplished, but only through his faith in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, it tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, like Paul, we must believe that it was finished at the cross. We must believe the cross is sufficient. In his book, The Cross-Centered Life, C.J. Mahaney writes, The symptoms that arise from not being cross-centered are easy to spot. Listen to this list. Do any of these describe you? You often lack joy. You're not consistently growing in spiritual maturity. Your love for God lacks passion. You're always looking for something new, some new technique, some new truth, a new experience that will pull all the pieces of your faith together. If you can relate to any of these, he goes on to say, as you learn to live a cross-centered life, you will learn how to break free from joy-robbing legalist thinking and living how to leave behind the crippling effects of guilt and condemnation. 
How to stop basing your faith on your emotions and circumstances. How to grow in gratefulness, joy, and holiness. These are God's promises to all who respond to his wonderful plan of salvation. And again, if you'll turn over your connecting point to the being in community. We have a choice in life. We can live in confidence of our flesh under the law that we can never obtain and therefore lack joy in our lives. Or we can live under the grace of Jesus Christ, placing our full confidence in him and through faith believe in the cross and have joy. So what, what is it that Paul is, is, is teaching us? He asks one more thing before we get to the bottom line. He says that he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Now, not to raise him from the dead. Paul's not dead. He wants to know that power in his life, just as you and I should want that power operating in our lives. As believers, we are empowered to a new life. Turn with me a few pages to the left to Romans 6, 4, chapter 6. Starting in verse 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what should we have as a believer? It should be a newness in life. We should have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And if we do, we've been promised that we will have joy. Because what does that joy come from? From the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So what's the bottom line of what Paul is trying to tell us here? Anything, anything that keeps us from knowing Christ is rubbish. Whether it's idols, toys, maybe it's career, pride, self-worth, power, money, the list goes on and on. Whatever, whatever takes us away from our focus on Christ is rubbish. Whatever takes our focus away from Christ is rubbish. So I ask you again the question of the day. What is keeping you from having joy in the Lord? Are there things that you need to suffer a loss so as to know Christ? You saw the things that Paul counted as a loss that he would know Christ. What was, what was Paul's key thing? 
The whole thing centered on knowing Christ. At this time, I'd like to invite the music team to come back up front. They're going to play a song. It's what we call the song of response. It's a time for us to respond to the word. And there's going to be some couples in the corners, up front and in the back. And as you listen to this song, I'd invite you to close your ears, or close your eyes. Don't close your ears. Listen to the song. Close your eyes. That'll work better. Close your eyes. Open your heart, though. Listen to what maybe God is saying to you in this time. Maybe you have that hole in your heart that Tina talked about. Maybe you have confidence in the flesh that Paul talked about. Maybe your confidence is in something else. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know what I've been talking about. You don't understand what Tina was talking about because you don't know Jesus. Because you've never you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never set aside all this other rubbish all this other stuff and made Jesus the Lord of your life. Listen to that small voice today. And maybe today is the day for you to seek one of these couples and pray with them about that. Pray, what's the next step in my salvation? Or maybe, maybe you, if you caught it in Tina's testimony, maybe you were like we were, both thinking we were Christians when we got married. We weren't. But God would do a work, and God would eventually call us to himself. But maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here, and you think, you're a Christian. You think you know Jesus, but not really. Pray with one of these couples. Take time. Share that. Maybe you struggle with something else. Maybe you have idols. Maybe it's careers. Maybe it's something else that's keeping you from being able to trust Jesus. To have confidence in nothing else but Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. Our confidence comes from nothing else. My confidence doesn't come from being a pastor here at Cornerstone. My confidence comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So close your eyes, open your ears, listen to this song, and move as the Spirit might move you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Thank you. Thank you that we can come to you in faith and through faith have confidence in you 
and therefore have eternal life with you. So Lord, help us today to shed these things, these, this rubbish that we're carrying. Or if we don't know you, Lord, help us today to open our eyes, to be, take our heart of stone, turn it to a heart of flesh, that we can come to know you. Lord, thank you for moving in this body today. And we look forward to the work that you will do in Jesus' name. Amen.